if you've brought a Bible to Isaiah chapter 2. If, don't worry if not, we've got it on the screen for you to read along, or if it's on your device. I know that you're not checking the uh, football scores. Is anyone? Ch- no. So Isaiah, um, a wonderful um, prophecy to read through. It does take a while. So uh, lots of people sort of kind of, oh, it's a bit daunting to read through Isaiah, but we're going to go through in our evening services. Uh, he lived in the 8th century BC, prophesied mainly to uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judah. But his prophecy, as we uh, found in that sort of introduction, he prophesies about Jesus. He prophesies about the Holy Spirit. He, he um, sees so much of God's heart. And so chapter 2, this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the temple of the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to the chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled and do not forgive them. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. For all that is exalted, they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan. For all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. People will flee to caves in the rocks and holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. When he rises to shake the earth, 
In that day, people will throw away to the moles and the bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they have made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags. From the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty, when he rises to shake the earth, stop trusting in mere humans. Who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We confess that your word is a lamp unto our feet. A guide to our path. And we pray as we just we spend these few moments uh, looking at your word together tonight. That you would speak to us through your word, through the prophet Isaiah. That we might, like Isaiah did, catch a glimpse of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. In the past 3,400 years, it is reckoned, not by me, but by people who, who do these kind of things, that there has been peace on this earth for about 268 years. Absence of war, absence of conflict on this planet. And that the 20th century... 108 million people were killed in wars on our planet. And if you really want to get depressed even further tonight, to look around the world and to see where the conflicts are right now that are still ongoing, whether it be Syria, Iraq, Yemen, across the Middle East, And we can say, God, we want peace to come to this earth. How is that going to happen? Well, in terms of human endeavor, one important organization was founded. We have a picture of this organization. We'll have a little quiz. I've probably given it away. Does anyone know what this building is? The United Nations headquarters in New York, indeed. Founded in 1945, I think there's 193 member states, and it's a global organization that brings together its member states, 193 member states, to confront common challenges, to promote international cooperation, and to create and maintain international order. They gather And listen and talk to one another. And then there's the Security Council where they make decisions, the the key nations of the world. But some of us would not know that there is an inscription on the wall, and I didn't know this actually until I was studying about this this week. 
And the inscription is from the chapter we've just read, from Isaiah. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. From Isaiah 2, uh, second part of verse 4. And you think that's brilliant, isn't it? To have that emblazoned on the front of the UN. But I wonder what Amos, uh, not Amos, Isaiah would have thought about it. Okay. We'll be thinking about that. Because it's probably a good job that they didn't choose verse 22 from the same chapter. If you remember, stop trusting in humans. How about that to be emblazoned across the UN? Stop trusting in mere humans. Now, we know that many good things have been achieved by the UN since World War II, since it was uh, brought into um, operation. But I want us to, to look about what this inscription really entails in, in the context of where it came, of Isaiah. Whoever chose that inscription, I'm I'm sure it was all laudable and I don't know whether it went to various committee meetings. What should we have written on the front of this building? But I'm sure they didn't really understand the context of what Isaiah was actually saying. Or maybe they did. Isaiah is not saying that we will live in peace with one another if we manage to get us all round a table and discuss our differences. Instead of rushing to take up weapons against one another. Isaiah brings this stark warning that we will never live in peace with one another unless we allow God to reign. On his throne. Unless we allow God to deal with the sin that divides humanity. Because you could say, you could make an argument for all the uh, wars that we have and all the conflicts that there have been, the root of it all has been sin. There are others who would say, no, it's religion. Or others, no, it's this. But at its root, if you bore right down, It's man's sinfulness. Isaiah tells us in verse 2 that in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. And all the nations will stream to it. But Mount Zion... In Jerusalem, which is his context where he's speaking, is a really small mountain. If you've ever been there, it's not a hard climb, is it? It's smaller than the Mount of Olives, which isn't a big mountain. It's smaller than Mount Hermon, which is a little bit bigger and has snow on the top most of the year round. But compared to Mount Everest, so does this make sense? Isaiah prophesies that the Lord, Yahweh, will make it the highest of mountains and all nations will stream to it. All nations will stream to it. 
And the word that he uses, Nahar, the, the, the Hebrew word, it means to be flowing like a river. The nations will flow like a river up the mountain of the Lord. Which is miraculous in itself for a number of reasons. Streams don't go uphill. Can you think of a stream that climbs a mountain? No, streams come down. But he says the nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord. God will cause the nations to flow up the slopes of Mount Zion together. How on earth is that going to happen? And in a way, Isaiah sees a vision of united nations, which is why I I opened with that. Peace on earth, as all the nations submit to the Holy One of God. And the mountain of the Lord that he's talking about is a symbol of the coming kingdom of God. So in verses 3 and 4, Isaiah tells us that peace will only come when the nations turn back to God. When the nations turn back to the true living God. Confessing their rebellion and respond to God's generous offer of forgiveness, which we saw in chapter 1, verse 18. Come, says the Lord, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Amazing that this man, Isaiah, has this revelation that is going beyond this, the context of the immediate, although it has, has application for his immediate situation as he speaks into it. But this is looking even beyond to when the Lord will bring the nations. And we read that that vision that John had in Revelation of of the nations. People from every tribe and language and tongue worshipping the Lord together. Isaiah catches a glimpse of that. Peace will come when the nations turn back. To the true and living God. Confessing their rebellion in response to his generous offer of forgiveness. And that's when you get to this part of the chapter. Which doesn't make sense unless you have the context of it. It's a lovely idea that human beings would get together and and put down their weapons. and, And beat their swords into plowshares and things like that. But Isaiah, he sees a day when all people from every nation, from every tribe, will respond to God's command. Learn to do right. To side with God against sin and selfishness. Now, not everyone will do that. But he knows That only when that happens, we'll have true peace in the world. I've traveled in different parts of the world and and last year had the privilege of going to Palestine, Israel and studying that conflict. And just at the end of all that I'd learned, listening to all sides of the argument, just thinking, only God can sort this out. Human beings will not do it. Only if we turn to the one true living God will peace come. And when the Holy One comes and makes all things new. 
Again, Isaiah captures a little bit of this as we go through his prophecy, that new Jerusalem. Again, we have a vision of that in Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2, as as John sees that vision of the new Jerusalem. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and the peoples will walk with him. That's what Isaiah says. Peoples will walk in his light. In verses 6 to 9, we discover how much we need God to work this miracle amongst us. Isaiah is not blind to the present realities of his time. He comes to ministry at a time when Israel, when Judah is just in, in disarray. King Uzziah has died. That golden age has crumbled and it just seems like things are falling apart. He speaks out against the injustice that he sees, the faithless politics that he sees, and the empty religion that he sees. He accuses them of, instead of holding on to the word of God, they've turned to superstitions, witchcraft, and idolatry. He's addressing Jerusalem and Judah. Not the pagan nations around And it's amazing as you read this prophecy. 8th century BC could be the 21st century AD. It says instead of the word of God you've turned to superstitions, witchcraft, idolatry. Instead of relying on God you've relied on your stockpile of gold and silver. Your wealth. Your possessions. And you've invested in weapons of war, not peace. Is that not a reflection of 21st century planet Earth? How much have we invested in weapons of war and not peace? And Isaiah sees something dreadful coming. Day of judgment. Before God can bring the new... He must deal with the old. And there was a phrase, I don't know if you saw it as we read, it's hard to pick it up when you've just read it through once, but there's a phrase that he repeats three times in this chapter. The fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. That's repeated three times. Verse 10, verse 19, verse 21. And he addresses a persistent rebellion against God that has eventually only one outcome. Judgment. One glimpse, he says, of the splendor of God's majesty is enough to send the rebellious fleeing. As soon as they see God as he really is, they will be humble. Just one glimpse will flatten every tree, every mountain, every fortified wall, every mighty ship. And the idols will disappear before the Lord. And in that day, people will be terrified. People will flee, he says, to the caves and the holes in the ground. And did you catch that bit when he says they will throw away their puny idols to the moles and the bats? 
Those things that they have made, that they've been bowing down to, the superstition, the idolatry, they will throw away to the moles and the bats. And so Isaiah warns Jerusalem and Judah. The context of what he's writing is the threat of the Aramean soldiers, a new empire that is, that is gathering sort of power in the region, is about to invade. But he says, no, your true enemy is not that. It's your sinful rebellion and pride. Can you understand why prophets weren't very popular? Isaiah, I want you to go and tell this people this. But he does. And then he delivers that punchline. Verse 22. Stop trusting in mere humans. Call on the name of the Lord. Peace will only come when we call on the name of the Lord. Do we want to see peace in Iraq, in Syria, in the Middle East? It will only come when we call on the name of the Lord. I want to read to you a passage from another prophet, a contemporary of Isaiah. And his name was Micah. And it's Micah chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. Uh, It'll be on the screen as well, if you want to follow it. Different prophet. Micah actually is called to prophesy to Israel, the northern kingdom. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Does that sound familiar? Now, did Isaiah copy Micah or did Micah copy Isaiah? If it was in, you know, your secondary school exams, there'd be questions asked. Or is it that God speaks to two prophets at the same time through the same word? Who are prophesying to different peoples and brings that same word. And if we go on in verse 4 and 5, everyone, this is the slight difference, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The message of the prophets, turn to the Lord. Walk in the name 
of the Lord. Turn away from useless idols. Through this passage we see that the Lord has a plan to unite the nations. There is hope for planet earth. And his name is Jesus. And he's coming back again. And he will make all things new. And whether Isaiah, if we were to sit down and ask him, did you mean that, you know, I'm not sure he would have known. But we know, because we've read right through the story, Jesus is coming back. The Lord has a plan to unite the nations through faith in his word made flesh. King Jesus, who was and is and is to come. The one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The one who defeated sin and death. And the one who will come and rescue the nations. So for us, it's time to see that bigger picture. It's time for us to keep on calling on the name of the Lord. And with God, all things are possible. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of prayer where we pray for the nations. And if you carry a particular nation on your heart or a particular people on your heart, I would encourage you, if you feel bold enough to pray out, um, that we might just pray. And for the troubled areas of the world, whether that be uh, in terms of conflict and war, in terms of persecution, in terms of, of uh, tyrants and dictators, um, We want to call on the name of the Lord. He's the one who can bring peace and hope to our world. Let's pray together. And I invite anyone who would like to pray during this time to to lead us in prayer.